0: spoiler alert if you do not want this film ruined do not proceed there's spoilers galore you have been warned welcome to talk classic to me the classic film podcast and movie club where i sarah greenfield your host and classic film enthusiast bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy On today's show, we are talking about the film Mr. Smith Goes to Washington from 1939 with my very distinguished guest and brother, David Greenfield. David Greenfield, welcome back to the podcast. Everyone, our guest this week is my brother, David. Thanks for having me again. So we just watched the film Mr. Smith Goes to Washington from 1939, directed by Frank Capra, starring the great Jimmy Stewart and also the great Jean Arthur. I really love her. David, what'd you think?
1: You know, I really liked it. It was really good. You know, I know you always talk to me about, oh, I don't know if you like those black and white movies, but it was it was really good. It was really well done. Personally, it almost felt like a preschool house rock thing. They really try to teach you about how, like, the legislature works, but in a fun way. I
0: think this might have been the first film where they really show us a tour of Washington, D.C. and a tour of what it's like in the Senate. And they were using those real spaces, weren't they?
1: The Lincoln Memorial? Yeah, felt like they were there.
0: Okay, so let me get into the plot summary of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. This is a film from 1939, which is one of the hugest years in film history. That is one of those years where all these incredibly excellent and varied films were made. Um, we'll get into that later, but this is 1939. Uh, Frank Capra, the director, was an Italian immigrant. And so being an American was very important to him. So he made this kind of like fantasy love letter to America by creating this film about like your basic everyday man with a lot of naivete and a lot of heart someone who fights for lost causes surprisingly ends up given a seat as a senator in Washington as a plan for corruption. There's a man that owns a paper, a newspaper, who pays for politicians, and they're all working together to like blind their pockets as much as they can. And so they send Jimmy Stewart thinking he's gonna be like a country bumpkin who doesn't know anything and won't figure out their plan. Um, and of course he ends up figuring out their plan with the help of Jean Arthur, who is so smart. She is such a smart lady and she, she meets him. She's a little skeptical at first. And then she realizes, no, this guy's pretty great and I love him. Allow me to help him out a whole lot. And so once he realizes this corrupt plan, he goes to explain it to the Senate. And, of course, the corrupt people have turned everything around against him. And they say he's the corrupt one. And they do this whole phony investigation. And they find him guilty. And instead of leaving the Senate, he gets the Senate floor in a filibuster. And with the help of Jean Arthur... He holds that floor. He will not yield. And eventually the evil plan for corruption is brought to light, and he wins the day, and uh, he and Gene Arthur are going to end up together and be married. We think. We're pretty sure. They're going to end up together and they love each other. Yay! Goodness wins over evil. Yay! So that's the story. Um, It's very patriotic. I chose this film because I know that, at least in America, I know we have listeners all over the world, so thank you, listeners all over the world. But in America, next Tuesday when this will be released, is going to be Election Day. And it's a very big election for our country. And uh, I wanted a film that had hope to it. That was why I chose this. I think it's important to say that in the film, they never specify where the lead character is from, and they never specify which political party he belongs to, which I think is really important. Um, And they also show the two parties handling each other pretty nicely. So it's like corruption happens person by person necessarily and not the whole party. I thought this would feel like a really good film to watch, but I was feeling very frustrated as I watched it. For me, it ended up feeling like I am witnessing so much corruption happening and in this film, the American people have such a strong voice. But in real life, I'm like, we don't have a Jimmy Stewart. That's not working. The corruption is, like, winning. Yeah. So, and I'm I'm witnessing the corruption in the same way that, like, the way Taylor, we'll get into that part, but when Taylor controls the information that gets to Jimmy Stewart's hometown, I was like, that's literally half the country. Like... <laughs> They are not informed. They don't actually know what's going on. They're being fed lies and are totally okay with it. And not only are they okay with it, everything that's being done to them, they're being told we do. And we are doing, it's crazy. It's like the opposite is true. It's opposite day every day. So anyway, that's out of sync with what we're talking about. I I was glad you felt uplifted because I felt a little bit like, oh shoot, where's Jimmy Stewart coming to save us?
1: Right. What's our uplifting moment? I mean, I will say even during the movie, there's, There's so many times when you don't feel uplifted. You feel like it doesn't matter what anybody does, the guy with all the money is going to win. And the guy who has not just the money, but the control, you know, who has all the the people behind him. And, and, you know, you can just see how and, you know, today is the same way. You have the lobbyists, you have people who control everything.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like a lot hinges on next week for the future of our country and it's it is scary to me so i'm hoping that this film will uplift some of you even though you might have a moment like me where you're going oh no (laughs) please don't let corruption win oh no (laughs) we'll
1: we'll keep our fingers crossed on that one
0: yeah okay so besides all that stuff um (laughs) it's funny because i feel like i in the past on the show have talked about like i like frank capra but he's not like my favorite director ever i mean he's obviously a great director he's good at his craft uh but lately i feel we watched arsenic and old lace just two weeks ago and he directed that and here we're back with another capra and it is rather pleasant it is rather pleasant right now to be in the world of frank capra uh, this world of like wonder Bread where goodness wins and everybody's charming and if they're not charming they're silly I like the way this film starts off, too. The tone is a little silly at first. Uh, You see news spreading that uh, one of the senators has passed away, and it spreads through all the corrupt circles and the corrupt people, and it sets it up sort of comedically. Uh, So you go in with a lighter heart, but then you have these much deeper moments later on um, with Jimmy Stewart, with Claude Rains, who is fantastic in this movie. Claude Rains plays a man named Joe Payne.
1: Yeah, the the senator. Which, what an
0: ironic name. Like, calling a corrupt senator Payne. Like, that's great. Yeah. And also, I was thinking of um, Jimmy Stewart's character is named Jefferson Smith, and he was clearly named after Thomas Jefferson. So I was like, what apt naming? We have Jefferson, and then we have, like, we have Joe Payne, and I'm like, Thomas Payne was a positive person, and yet... We've got the positive, but like the literal meaning of the word pain, negative.
1: I never thought about that, but that's a really good point. I was actually going to say, too, um, at the very beginning of the movie, speaking of the lightheartedness, they start with with playing Yankee Doodle. Yes. The American patriotic.
0: They play patriotic music throughout the film. So it starts off, you're right, lighthearted, Yankee Doodle. They throw a little bit of my country tis of the in there. But yeah, Yankee Doodle. And then throughout the film, they choose different patriotic tunes, they sprinkle them throughout. So they keep you on this this patriotic wave. And something I do think is really funny is uh we should mention in the plot as well, Jimmy Stewart runs a boys' club and he has all these little boys over at his house all the time. One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is when the corrupt governor, who's kind of like a hapless, bumbling older dude, Um, He's sitting at the table with his family of, like, one million sons. This man has so many children. How is this possible? But he does. And the way the sons... All wearing suits. All wearing suits. And at first they greet him very sweetly, like, hello, father. And then they all sit down, and the kids immediately turn into, like, little little senators they're like hey dad you should do this you should sign this bill uh you know every kid out there has two parents that vote like i loved that scene the way they have so much influence over their governor father and the way that they assert themselves as political players as children i thought was great
1: so i thought it was also funny because i was watching that and i was like does this kind of feel like a disney channel thing like all the kids are the ones making all the rules and they're the ones who are telling their dad this is who you need to make a senator. <laughs> well,
0: and how messed up is it that like someone can become a senator because your kids like that person? Because that's how it goes down. The kids are like, Dad, you looking for a new senator? Pick Jefferson Smith. We like him. That would be like today if someone liked, I don't know, uh, Billie Eilish is the only person I can think of that <laughs> is young. If I had children, they were like, we like Billie Eilish. She should be in the Senate. She'd probably do better in the Senate than a lot of people there. But it's like that kind of thing of like, well, I guess they have no experience, but my children like them. So
1: it's all that matters. I put them in there.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, it's definitely a fish out of water story. Uh, Jimmy Stewart goes to Washington, D.C. He has these beautiful ideas about what the world should be, what it should look like. Um, He's very inclusive in his ideas, which I appreciate. Um, because as we've mentioned several times on this podcast, a lot of classic movies are not inclusive. They are not diverse. They do not care about women or any people that are not white, (laughs) um, that are not white, not white men, not straight white men. Um, that's kind of how classic movies tend to go. And so something I was noticing in this film is they make it a point to constantly when Jimmy Stewart is expressing, um, how the world should be, he says things like, um, I want to build a camp for all boys of all race boys, by the way, not girls of all races and creeds and religions. And when there, there's a couple cool moments that I noticed of when they got to the train station in Washington, D.C., And Jimmy Stewart is looking around and he can't believe his eyes. Here is everything he's studied his whole life. Oh my God, look, there's, you know, the Capitol building and there's Lincoln Memorial.
1: It was the big dome. He saw the big dome.
0: dome. There are these, all of the porters in the train station are young black men. And I was really worried. I was like, oh God, please don't make this i mean i know from frank capper movies it wasn't really going to go that way but you go like please don't make this super racist please 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 so what he ends up doing is having the black men not serve that white guy so they have the black men holding all the packages they have to wait around a long time and finally when they find out the person's not coming back they're like "Uh, no we've had enough of this goodbye sir so they they kind of like write it so that they have the upper hand. And um, so like, yeah, a black man has the upper hand for one second over a white person in this film, which is pretty cool. And then um, when he has all the boys together uh, delivering papers for Jefferson and coming together over Jefferson Smith, he makes sure to have um, at least like one black child with all the white boy children. So that it's like diverse, inclusive, integrated, Um, Again, not the greatest thing in the whole world, but for 1939, when like gone with the wind was out, (laughs) this is a a subtle nod to being inclusive. And also at the um, Lincoln Memorial, when he's reading the quotes on the wall, uh, the people that are there are like an older black gentleman who clearly this is meaningful to him. And there's a young child reading it. And there's, I think it was, I couldn't tell if they were trying to say this person was Jewish or an immigrant. It's like, either way, a white ethnic person is here uh, admiring this as well. And none of them are degrading. Like, none of them are treated in any way um, stereotypically, except for the one Jewish reporter who I was like, God damn it, did you have to make the bad reporter Jewish? Why?
1: I know what you're talking about now. It didn't even occur to me when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. So to me, it just felt natural that would just be all those people would be there and it made sense and it was right and you're right it felt almost natural that anybody could be there right it's not you know the inclusivity you know you know more about obviously classic movies than i do <laughs> so you would know more about like you know how, how uninclusive so many of them are
0: it was purposefully inclusive. That was on purpose, I think.
1: I like that. I, I mean, I did notice like when they had the, the paper boys there at the end, which probably can get to this later, but I do want to say it got really dark there at the end. <laughs> I was not expecting
0: this. Yeah. So there's this adorable Newsies moment. So all the corruption is happening. Um, they've accused Jefferson Smith of these crimes that he 100% did not commit. And the newspaper in their town. So Jefferson Smith is like, okay. We're gonna get the word out in my town and all my constituents are gonna show up and have my back but the problem is they are not being given the real news uh so the town doesn't even know what's happening and not only do they not know what's happening they're being told the false narrative so the real word gets out because um jefferson smith owned this like boys newspaper so they publish what's really going on in that boys newspaper and they have a total newsies montage where all the little newsboys put the newspaper together and it goes up the printing press and it looks so cool.
1: Sarah, I thought they were, I thought they were gonna start dancing.
0: Oh, they should have. I know, I was like, <laughs> this is the story you wanted to write. I was like, yes, we are at that part of the movie. Yes, Jack came back and he's printing with them. <laughs> <Yeah>. anyway, <laughs> thanks, David. Um, Cause I was gonna be like, hey David, what was my favorite movie as a child? Newsies. Did this remind you of that? Totally. Um, so yeah, these newsies go out into the world these young boys and old men who are on the side of the oppressor start, like, harming them. They, like, hit them <laughs> with a car. That's messed up. I couldn't up. believe it. And it was the governor's son, David.
1: Which, I mean, that was, like I couldn't believe that either because I was like, they, they really went after these kids. And the fact that it was, like, the governor's son and, like, all these other kids that were, you know, mm. helping out with this. And it's like, this is one newspaper. <laughs>
0: like, Seriously. Oh, my God. And the protesters, there was a protest happening and they spray them uh, with water. And I was like, oh, does this remind you of anything that happens in our country right now? Like anything tracking here? I was
1: like, that entire part of that totally reminded me of like the 1960s, you know, civil rights movement. Civil rights movement.
0: It reminded me of this summer. <laughs> Yeah. This summer being like June of 2020. So something else I noticed was I love Jean Arthur so much. She's the female lead in this. She plays Saunders. What else has she done? So, David, if you um, recall, uh, our second episode was The Devil and Miss Jones. Uh, She was the star of that film. She is so, like, the way Jimmy Stewart is your classic everyman on film, Jean Arthur is like your classic girl who works hard with a heart of gold. Like, she's... That girl in your office who's got your back, and um, she's fun, and she's so smart. Uh, What I loved about this movie is that he says to her at one point, um, you are the smartest person I've ever met. And so she's really the brains behind his whole operation, and I love that. When he's filibustering, he doesn't really know the protocol. Like, he's got the heart, but she's got the head. And if they were one person, they'd be a genius. So she's up in the balcony directing him, telling him when to stand, what to say. She is one of the only people, if not the only person, who figured out that that bill that um, the corrupt people were trying to pass was corrupt. It's corrupt because of one passage in it that talks about they're gonna build a dam that will benefit the people involved. Um, and they've gotten all of their people involved. So it's like they somehow own that land and own that property, so they will be reimbursed by the government, right?
1: Essentially what they were saying about what Jimmy Stewart was doing, claiming that his character, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Smith, uh, Jefferson Smith, I was trying to remember his name, everything that they were doing in the movie, claiming that he was the one that owned the land, that he was the one that uh, was gonna profit off of it. They were essentially everything they were trying to do is what they were saying he was doing.
0: Again, like a certain news organization in this country, right now. Yeah. <sighs> anyway.
1: Right now. Right this exact right now.
0: moment. Yes. Um yeah, so so that's what they do, and of course it's not true. Uh, so yeah, I do love that he he cannot do it without her. They really put they make a woman so intelligent on film and she is he cannot do this without her. She is the brains behind the operation. So I really love that. I also love the narrative of like, basically this whole film is about having wonder in your heart, like viewing the world as a young person. So I don't know if you noticed this, but at the start of the film, when we first meet the president of the Senate, he's kind of like grouchy and cynical. And then the very last shot of the whole movie is him chewing gum with his arms behind his head like a little boy. He has found his wonder again. He is joyful and he's going to help lead the country forward in a joyful way. And that's what he does with Saunders
1: as well. Or was he happy that the guy fainted? I don't know. No, I will say, though, that the, uh, the Senate Majority Leader who was over, presiding over the Senate, throughout the movie, he didn't have a lot of lines. He didn't say a lot, but he always had expressions on his face that kind of showed you his progression from the beginning to the end where he started getting smiles on his face and he started kind of laughing at some stuff he knew what was going on he'd look up and he'd see gene arthur's character kind of orchestrating it and he just you could see he kind of got a kick out of it because i think you could tell he kind of knew what was going on and he knew that it wasn't really jefferson who was wrong and he knew that there were people what he was fighting for and i think it just kind of gave him a smirk because he knew like he needed help because he was still so young and so naive and trying to get through. He
0: chose to side with him, which was a huge deal because he could have chosen the other way. He's given a choice at one point. Do I want to give the floor to Jefferson or do I want to give the floor to... I didn't know if he was the majority leader or if he was... I didn't know how it worked.
1: I wasn't 100% sure. At the beginning, they were like, that's the Senate Majority Leader, and that's the Senate Minority Leader, and that's this guy, and that, you know. They explained a lot at once, David. They explained a lot. We had to process a lot. Well, it's like when Gene Arthur was explaining how bills become laws, and I was like, is this what they showed before Schoolhouse Rock? Like, was this like their video montage of like, this is what you gotta do?
0: (laughs) They must have, because that was brilliant. Since Jimmy Stewart is the layperson that has no experience in government, He gets explained to the way we would need to be explained to, you know, so it's such a great device of like he's this rube and guess what at home we are too. And we need someone to tell us how passing a bill works. And it's great. And we need someone to tell us what a filibuster is like, again, nowadays, we know because our political process is a whole thing. But When I was younger, I didn't know what a filibuster was, and this movie explained that to me. It was just a funny word. It's just a funny word, like gerrymandering. You're like, what a silly word, and now you're like, oh, a serious voter suppression problem. Got it. Okay, (laughs) got it. Um... Uh, so many Don Quixote references, which is funny because I think Don Quixote failed. Am I wrong about that? Uh,
1: it's been a while since I saw Man of La Mancha, I don't remember. We
0: saw it at the same time, David. Yeah, it's been a while. I feel like he might have failed. That's why I think it's really funny that they kept yeah. being like, stop tilting towards the windmill. And I was like, but he's gonna win. <laughs> also, can we talk about how he only wins? Because the corrupt senator comes forward and admits that he did wrong and i was like that's the most unbelievable thing in this movie i do not know a politician alive on the evil side that would do that I,
1: honestly like watching the movie and how it unfolded at the end i was really shocked because i i expected him to lose once we got to the point when he brings out like all these telegrams that were all crumpled and whatever.
0: Very Miracle on 34th Street, right? Which came later, yes, but back. I was getting flashbacks. Yeah.
1: But like after all that, you see Mr. Smith and he's, well, I'm gonna, like, I know I'm gonna lose. He gives like one more speech to the guy. And I was thinking like, I think Smith's gonna lose this, but we're gonna like, he's gonna give some speech that's talk about how corrupt everything is and whatever. And he still did kind of give that speech. I didn't, I thought that was how it was gonna turn out. And he's gonna have to leave Washington, but he was gonna do it with his dignity.
0: The fighter of lost causes.
1: And like the senators were going to know that it was BS. Um, You're right. It was a little surprising how that ended. I liked it, but it's not real. It's not real.
0: Yeah. Well, because Claude Rains leaves the courtroom because he's so disgusted by what's happening. Jimmy Stewart is reading that his constituents don't support him. And again, they don't support him because they're not being given accurate information. And so he looks up at the judge because he's heartbroken. And the judge gives him this kind of creepy look, which I think is supposed to be hopeful, but comes off as a little creepy. And Jimmy Stewart derives a lot of hope from that and remembers oh, I am a fighter of lost causes. That's like a big deal in this film because part of the plot, which I totally neglected, is that uh, Claude Raine's character, Joe Payne, he was the best friend of Jefferson Smith's father. And the two went their separate ways. So it's like they wrote together for a newspaper and then Joe Payne went one way and became like a famous white knight senator who everyone thinks is just like... The sun shines out of his ass, but really he's totally corrupt. And then um, Jimmy Stewart's dad went off to fight for like people who didn't have rights and in really small ways, and he was murdered for never backing down. They say he was bribed. Uh, there was a line about it. I don't remember. It was like he was bribed, he did something else, and then he was murdered. Um, he was stabbed in the back or shot in the back or something like that. So he literally died trying to fight for lost causes. I did like the one scene in the beginning when they're trying to think of a senator and they're like he can think for himself and he can ask questions. And I was like, oh, ha ha ha.
1: Yeah, there were a lot of good lines in this one though. I didn't write them all down, so I don't totally remember them all, but.
0: Yeah, there were a lot of great lines in this.
1: Oh, I wrote down one that was, you're halfway decent, you don't belong here. Yeah.
0: And Jean Arthur says that one, doesn't she?
1: Yes, she says that when she's leaving with her bag and she was going to go away and get married and the guy didn't even know her first name.
0: (laughs) Which is Clarissa, which is very funny because it's not that bad, but she's like, it's the worst name ever, Clarissa.
1: She didn't know that, you know, many years later, Clarissa would explain it all. Uh,
0: Right, that's how we know it. And we're like, it's cool. I mean, I guess I wouldn't name my kid Clarissa, but she does explain it all. Um, I also like that moment when she tells Jimmy Stewart her name and he kind of hears it, takes it in, and then keeps calling her Saunders.
1: <laughs> he wanted so badly to know her first name and then he hears it and <laughs> calls her Saunders. Yeah,
0: Cause it's, it's a rough one for the time. I feel like that would be like today if you named what would be a gross name to have. <laughs> like Eustace or like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Gertrude. But uh, that's Gert- cute Gertrude. again. Those that's old names name, are all yeah. coming back. So I can't even make fun of old names.
1: I can't even think of like good names.
0: Minerva. I don't know, something.
1: By the way, there was something I wanted to bring up, and that was just how young Jimmy Stewart looked. And, you know, in the Senate, you have to be 30 years old in order to be on the Senate. And he looked so young to me. I actually looked him up to see when he was born, because I was actually curious if he was, like, old enough. And he was born in 1908. And this film came out in 1939. So he, I mean, unless they filmed it like years, you know, before he just old enough to be a senator. I couldn't believe how young he well, looked.
0: this around. was his first like big, meaty, dramatic role, really. So James Stewart, uh, I feel like his first like big, we're taking you seriously role was You Can't Take It With You, which was also directed by Frank Capra, which came out the year before this did. I think it did. I think it was 38.
1: I'm noticing a pattern of jimmy stewart and frank capra movies yes
0: they did three films together they did you can't take it with you which was really what elevated jimmy stewart's career they did um mr smith goes to washington and then eventually they did it's a wonderful life the christmas classic we all know which stresses me out i'm the only person that has this feeling of like i can't watch it because i get stressed out like phoebe and friends where you're like it's a sucky sucky life i can only watch the end
1: terrible till the very end
0: (laughs) yeah Like, I can't watch any more terrible things happen to you. But uh, that's actually a whole other story, too, about Frank Capra. We'll get there. But uh, James Stewart, his whole thing, uh, he was kind of starting out when they put him as a leading man. They kind of put him in these lighter roles. Like, he was in a dance film with Eleanor Powell called Born to Dance. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. Um, He was in the second Thin Man movie. His whole early story, he does this. This really helps his career a lot. He goes into, um, into the army as a pilot uh, in 1940, and uh, he, he fights in World War II, and he becomes, I think he becomes a colonel. He becomes a colonel in, in the army. Wow, um, that's impressive. Yeah, so his career really takes off when he comes back from the war. The war really changed him, but the roles that he ends up doing when he comes home are a lot deeper. They are roles like It's a Wonderful Life, and he ends up working a lot with Alfred Hitchcock. Jimmy Stewart, James Stewart, is one of the most famous actors that has ever lived. He is like the Tom Hanks of the past. He was the lovable every guy. He was handsome, um, but he could still have this like folksy charm about him. And he kind of played roles all over the spectrum. I don't, again, feel like there's two kinds of actors. There's like your Meryl Streep's who completely become somebody else um, like to their core. And then there are people like Jimmy Stewart who are still a version of themselves but do it very honestly in each role that they do. So both are good. Ni- you know, No judgment on either. They're both fun to watch as long as you're like present and a good actor. So his movies end up being Vertigo, one of the greatest movies. I mean, I say one of the greatest movies ever made. It's not even my favorite Hitchcock at all. <laughs> but it's considered one of the greatest movies ever made. Rear Window, which is an excellent Hitchcock film, probably the greatest Hitchcock film ever made so screw you vertigo rear window is better the man who knew too much also hitchcock the philadelphia story was 1940 so it would have been before he went to war screwball comedy he does a little bit of comedies early on does a lot of like suspense and drama in the middle and then eventually goes western that's like the trajectory of jimmy stewart's career okay here we are now um it's a wonderful life you can't take it with you rope awesome hitchcock film harvey really fun really silly film mid 40s um The Glenn Miller Story, Anatomy of a Murder, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, How the West Was Won, and more. Those are just some. He made so many movies.
1: I didn't know he did so much Hitchcock. I didn't know that was a yeah. a thing.
0: Yeah, he did a lot of Hitchcock. And by the end he was working with John Ford. So he worked with a lot of really prolific directors. And gave us a lot of great performances.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say he also has that iconic voice. I mean, you you know, Jimmy Stewart. I
0: gotta play. find a sound. I'm Jimmy.
1: That's my Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> I thought I was listening to Jimmy. I...
0: Um, thanks, David. Wow, really appreciate that. So that's James Stewart. Oh, and, and he was good buddies with Henry Fonda, and followed Henry Fonda out to Hollywood. Isn't that crazy? No kidding. No, that actually, is crazy. They have similar career trajectories. They're very similar, and this is the year that Henry Fonda did Young Mr. Lincoln. So uh, James Stewart's doing Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and Henry Fonda is doing the young Mr. Lincoln. And I think that's so cool.
1: Who won the Oscar that year? Not to put you on the spot.
0: Oh, oh, I should have known this. This is really embarrassing. Robert Donat won for Goodbye, Mr. Chips. I actually knew that, but I forgot. Because I knew Clark Gable didn't win.
1: That also came out that year?
0: David, do you want me to read you the list of movies that came out in 1939? It's
1: insane. I had something because I thought it was fascinating. Like, this movie came out in 1939. There's all these movies that came out in 1939. And then you opened the podcast and said it. And I was like, oh, okay, well. No, apparently it was just that obvious.
0: (laughs) Well, so no, it's a real thing. 1939 was a huge year in movies. Probably the hugest year in movies that's ever existed. Uh, Allow me to read you... The films, just some of the films that came out in 1939. Are you ready for this? Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. Here we go Gone with the Wind, which, again, like, doesn't hold up as racist, but was a spectacular feat of filmmaking in the day. Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Wuthering Heights, Stagecoach, Goodbye, Mr. Chips, The Women, Love Affair, Dark Victory, so good. Young Mr. Lincoln, Gunga Den. Babes in Arms, Destry Rides Again, Only Angels Have Wings. These are just some of the movies that came out in 1939.
1: And I've heard of most of those movies, which for 1939, the fact that you've heard of so many of these tells you that they have lasting power. And
0: the genres are all over the place, and they're all incredibly solid films in different ways, all huge feats of filmmaking so yeah this was a gigantic banner year for movies because i think if this movie came out another year it would have won more awards but no because the next year was citizen kane <laughs> so no and then the year after that was casablanca so no never mind yeah, if
1: it came out like you know in the you know, 1948 yeah it came know. out in
0: 1938 even if it came out like one year earlier but yeah it, that was a crazy crazy intense amazing year for movies and this came out during that whole time
1: yeah, you can see it was really well done yeah you know i can't imagine it going up against so many other things and i saw it got nominated for uh, like 11 oscars or something it deserved it, it was it was really good the, the acting was great too it
0: won for best original story so it did win one oscar okay um because gone with the wind was adapted and so was the wizard of Oz, and so were all these but it won for best original story so it did win an oscar that's
1: good yeah. it, it, i'm glad it at least got something because it it definitely deserved it even with all those movies you listed it was it was a really good movie well
0: it's again a very hopeful movie the dialogue is really great Um, I do want to read there's a big quote like the the, I think it's the quote really when Saunders ends up falling in love with Jimmy Stewart, or if not falling in love with him, seeing him for who he truly is, because Jean Arthur's character when she first meets him is so annoyed by him because he comes and he's this fanboy of Washington, D.C. Instead of going right to work, he's like, I'm going to get on a tour bus and see all these cool places that I love so much. And he's always like Lincoln said this. Washington said this. He's such a fanboy about the whole experience. So she's like, oh my God, this moron is here. I have to explain everything to him. He doesn't know anything. He's keeping me working all hours of the night and he can't be for real.
1: She kind of had a point. I mean, you'd think if somebody's going to the Senate, you'd think they would know a thing or two. At least they'd know how to pass a law yeah. or something. Although, you know, you can't go online and look it up and, you know, back then. But you know, like, you'd think he would have like, known that. But to be fair, I mean, it was so funny to watch him how excited he got seeing the Lincoln Memorial and seeing uh, the White House and the big dome. And, you know, like it was just so cool to him and and just kind of seeing how excited he'd get, how, you know, he wanted all the boys in the boys camp to be able to see that, you know, come to Washington and see the dome all lit up at night and his enthusiasm, it was just so high and you could see how excited he was to be there and he was gonna do so much good.
0: Well, and Jean Arthur has seen the flip side of that. She's seen that fail. Because most people come in with all this hope and enthusiasm and fail and become stagnant. And she is like that. And he he changes her. So he delivers the speech. And this is the speech when she realizes he's legit and really means what he says. Here, allow me to read it for you. It's a very good speech. He decides he wants to create a bill because the corrupt senator is like, Jesus, this guy's getting pretty close on my tail and I've got to distract him. So if he has this idea about starting a boys camp. Oh, so this is Jimmy Stewart's big idea, by the way. You guys, I know how to save the country from corruption. I know how to do it. I'm going to make a camp for boys and boys from all over the country, from all different races and religions are going to come and mix and connect and get to know each other. And they're going to see the countryside and maybe they'll see some other cool things. And we're going to like raise them up. Right and they're going to pay for it they're going to send me their nickels and dimes and pennies and they are going to pay for the camp and the government won't have to pay at all they'll give us a loan and we'll pay it back and i was like that's nice but i just thought like that's the big idea a camp
1: it wasn't i feel like it wasn't the best idea but i really like his gusto for going for it gusto that's a good word
0: yeah i was like "Ooh, i don't know jimmy that's whatever and it only includes boys there's no little girls
1: can I just say, though, I love the part when he brings his, what they put together, him and Gene Arthur, what the, you know, the the bill that they put together, and he's reading it on the Senate floor and freaked out out of his mind to read it. He was shaking, and everybody's laughing at him, and the little boy right below him is laughing at him, and he comes back, and and word had gotten out about this boys camp, and all these little kids had sent their letters in, and they got these all these letters, and he opens one, and there's nine pennies in it, and Gene Arthur's got the little um the jar the jar you know and sets it there (laughs) and he's putting the pennies in the jar and that's how they're gonna pay this off but
0: it stressed me out because i was like take some notes you need to keep receipts because he just threw those nine pennies in there and i was like write down their name write down what they gave. you. Like, it was very much stressing me out that there was no organization at all. Again, not a bad idea, but I love that. Like, that's the big idea that's going to change America. A camp for boys. You know what
1: I was wondering was when did the Boy Scouts come into effect? Isn't that essentially what the Boy Scouts do?
0: (laughs) I wonder, were the Boy Scouts around before this? That's a great question.
1: I don't know the history of the Boy Scouts. But the Boy
0: Scouts did not sound as inclusive as this sounded. This sounded pretty inclusive.
1: No, this probably was more inclusive, but I I just thought it was funny. I I listened to that and I was like, kind of sounds like the Boy Scouts.
0: While you're looking for that, I'm going to read what he said to her. So this is what James Stewart says to Jean Arthur. Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books, Miss Saunders. Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free to think and to speak. My ancestors couldn't. I can. And my children will. Boys ought to grow up remembering that. And I was like, oh. And the thing is, Frank Capra did not write this. Um, A man named Sidney Buckman did, and he wrote some good movies in his life. He wrote, like, Here Comes Mr. Jordan, The Talk of the Town, Holiday, Theodora Goes Wild, The Cleopatra with Elizabeth Taylor. He wrote that, but he was blacklisted. He ended up being blacklisted in the 50s and couldn't work,
1: Um, and he would not
0: name names, which really fits in with this movie, because they keep saying to Mr. Smith, will you yield? And he's like, I will not yield. And so I read that this guy wouldn't name names. And I was like, yeah, and it ruined his career. I mean, he, he went to France, like he didn't work for a decade. Yeah, that was
1: serious. I mean,
0: They eventually let him back in the sixties. Anyway, that's what I was thinking of for that. But this story is so, it rings so true to Frank Capra and his life. Um, because again, he was an immigrant. He came um, to America from Sicily. He went to college. His parents didn't want him to go to college. They wanted him to become a worker. And he went to college and said it completely changed his life. It gave him a whole new perspective.
1: Right. You meet a lot of people too.
0: And he was a chemical engineer, I think. His family moved to LA. That was like where they were based. And uh, he started making silent pictures, but he felt like he never really understood that medium very well. So when they became talking pictures, because of his engineering background, he was able to really understand the equipment and really pick up how to use sound.
1: Did you say this was Frank Capra or the screenwriter?
0: Oh, this is Frank Capra. I switched to the director. Yeah, this is all Frank Capra. Um, Nope, thanks for checking in. What is said about his films is they're very clean looking. He doesn't do a lot of tech stuff with the camera. What he ends up doing a lot ends up being in editing with like quick crossover shots when things get really important, but he keeps things very simple. And so he ends up having like beautiful set dressing and really a lot of thought there and good actors. And he just focuses on them very simply. And I appreciate that. I appreciate watching that.
1: You know, even going back to like, you know, when you're talking about arsenic and old lace too, you can see he's I could notice it in this movie too, with you know, there's times when he's got the camera up nice and high and you're watching people walk, and you could see he likes to utilize shadows. And you could tell the way he filmed it was very unique. It had a cool there's feel a to it. There's a texture cool to though. his
0: movies. There there's like a it's almost like a velvety feeling. I can't quite describe it, but he has a certain specific to him texture. He's good with visual images to tell a story too. Like uh one thing I love. My other favorite part, besides the boys yelling at their dad, was how he tells the story of how Jimmy Stewart feels around that one woman through how he deals with his hat. They do a close-up of Jimmy Stewart's hat and him holding his hat in his hands, and he's talking to a woman he's very attracted to, and you never see his face. You just hear in his voice and through the movement of his hat and him dropping his hat three times over and over again. That's how you get the sense of his inner life. And I just think that's such a creative way to do it. They could have just focused on his face. It could have been a close-up. It wasn't. It's such a cool way of storytelling.
1: Yeah. And I also thought that was very, uh, it kind of goes back to his youth-like mind. You know, just how nervous he got. You know, he's a senator on, in Washington and he gets so, you know, a beautiful woman comes in and he gets so nervous. doesn't know what to do. He's dropping his hat. He can't concentrate. He knocks over a lamp. Knocks over a lamp.
0: He forgets his hat in the end too. Oh, did he? <laughs> and I never tracked if he recovered it or not. And it stressed me. Out because it was his dad's hat, right? And he looks yeah. supposedly just like his dad and wears the hat the same way. And so the lost cause thing at the end with the judge, ooh, full circle, when he's realizing when the judge is creepily smiling at him that, like, oh, I'm fighting for a lost cause. This is what I do, and gets his little last ray of hope. All of that ties together. Keeps going. It should be mentioned. His hair was out of control in this movie. The Jimmy Stewart hair was totally a thing. They start, it's slicked back. It looks almost like a helmet, kind of. And it falls down a lot in like a cool 90s, like, Seattle band way. Slash maybe a boy band. It's like a mushroomy cut.
1: He's ahead of his time.
0: Ahead of its time. And then in the court scenes in the end, when he's supposed to have stood on his feet for 23 hours, his hair is the most tousled thing of beauty. I wish my hair looked that gorgeous and tousled after 23 hours.
1: Of speaking. Of
0: speaking. Oh, this is important. Okay, so... Frank Capra. This is what I wanted to talk about earlier but forgot. He directed all of these really hopeful, beautiful films in like the late 30s, early 40s. World War II happens and he enlists in the, I think it's called the US Army Signal Corps and he produces and directs films like propaganda films showing what's happening out in World War II. So he's seeing like war, concentration camps, all of these things firsthand Netflix made a great documentary about this. I watched it, like, I want to say maybe five years ago. I I hope it's still up there. It's called uh, Five Came Back, and it's about five directors that were, like, the prolific directors of their day in the late 30s, early 40s that went and they made propaganda films during the war and how much it deeply affected and changed them and changed their art. Because when he comes back, his art is totally different. And he can't seem to find that hit again all of his hits were pretty much before the war and so he makes uh it's a wonderful life which today we view as an incredibly famous classic but it was not a hit at the time it flopped and it was a lot darker than the previous things he had done um he ends up doing like some things that we know like a pocket full of miracles but for the most part his stuff his work has totally changed but the other directors that they talk about in that film were people like william wyler William Wyler comes back and makes *The Best Years of Our Lives*, which is one of the greatest films ever made. I highly recommend watching that documentary. It's very interesting and moving, and gives you a lot of information about what these men saw out there.
1: I find that kind of fascinating, though, that you can have five different, you know, visionaries, brilliant directors, all go make these propaganda films in, you know, in what is probably the worst war ever fought. Well, I guess that's probably... Well, we
0: difficult. don't know. Don't it was know just more documented. I once heard the reason we know it was so bad was because it was well-documented.
1: I don't know what their experiences were, but having these experiences coming back, obviously really deeply impacting them and affecting them and to see, you know, how each person can be impacted in a different way from the standpoint of some people can make brilliant films afterwards and some people maybe struggle to find that hit. Maybe it's because Frank Capra, a lot of his early hits were a little bit lighter and they were... Maybe it was harder for him to find that lightness that he could find before the war after
0: what he saw well because the series was called why we fight so it was a lot of like do you want to see the terrible things that are happening in europe right now like let we'll show you and it was getting people like wanting to go to war to fight for these things so he saw some really intense stuff i i can't imagine i've seen the videos of the holocaust i i cannot imagine being there and seeing that I, I don't, I can't imagine what that would do to you. I deeply understand like, yes, that would affect you so much. Um, yeah. And I'm glad he did that for this country. So thanks Frank Capra. Um, but yeah, that was something I wanted to like touch on cause it deeply affected the rest of his work. And you're right, his earlier work, like it happened one night such a great romantic screwball comedy um it provided escape for people during the depression and a lot of his early movies really are this very hopeful like i've called him white bread before but like <laughs> the way we wish the world kind of was this white picket fence joyful
1: right, right. Thing. No, i know what you're saying yeah. yeah
0: um and not in a restrictive way because his movies aren't necessarily restrictive they aren't like these are your roles live in these roles they're just like hey life can be delightful
1: even in washington you can find a way to Make your mark and, and you know, be an honest person and not get corrupted, you know?
0: Well, he even says, don't miss the wonders that surround you. Always try to see life around you as if you've just come out of a tunnel. That's what this movie's about.
1: Yeah. And I remember Gene Arthur, I remember her even like looking at him like, that's a really good quote. Nobody's like that here in Washington, though.
0: It's true. Well, and that's like what we want to hold on to. And he helps her find that. And that's kind of why she falls in love with him, is she has become a very cynical person and he helps her find this joy in herself and this way of living. And same with the president of the Senate at the end of the film. We see that he has changed as well, even if it's just behaving like a little boy again but it's about like yeah finding that that joy and that fire and that innocence inside of you and allowing that to live and breathe and not be totally extinguished by the dark forces out there in the world.
1: And with Frank Capra, I'm sure a lot of that innocence went out the door when he saw what happened in, you know, World War II. And...
0: Isn't that so ironic that that's like what this movie is about and then he ended up like losing a lot of that for himself? And again, the screenwriter who wrote this too cuz he wrote those lines, Frank Capra didn't write those lines. The screenwriter did. Although there's a lot of improvisation in Capra films, so I'm like, Ooh, who wrote what? What's? Mm, I don't know. We don't
1: know. Yeah, I wanted to ask you this earlier, but this is actually a good segue, so I'm glad it came back to it. Um, you know, you talk about like you know the screenwriter, and you talk about you know he wrote it. Frank Capra didn't write it. How much does a director get to influence a script once they start? We're actually working on it.
0: David, that's a great question. There's no right answer. <laughs> it depends how involved the studio is. So Frank Capra was the head of the Directors Guild for a few years. He was the head of the Academy of Motion Pictures of Arts and Sciences for a few years. He was very much about the director should have full control, period. He hated studio heads, he was like, get out of my face. He had a good working relationship with Harry Cohn, I think, but I'm not totally, don't quote me on that. Harry Cohn was the head of Columbia, I think.
1: One of the studio heads. He had a
0: decent working relationship with him, but he hated studios being involved in his process. He wanted to make all the decisions himself. So I feel like for someone like Frank Capra, he probably has a higher leeway to do what he likes. I imagine if you're Steven Spielberg, you have a very high leeway to do what you like. I think it all depends on who's running the studio and how much control they have.
1: I just thought that was interesting because it was like, you know, he didn't write it. And I was like, well, if he's The director of it you know does he get to kind of come in and say hey you know i don't like this line i think you should say this like this or
0: well i did read that frank capra would encourage people to talk over each other to make it feel more natural um because i think film is still new like it's not that old people are figuring out this craft so i like that he's finding ways to make it feel more blended
1: i think that's a good point i didn't notice that
0: I loved that line that he had, and it was something I was like, oh, I wish people thought this way today. Um, So James Stewart's character is giving a big grand speech in the Senate, one of many, because he talks for 23 hours. And he says, it's all about kindness and looking out for the other fella too. And I was like, yeah. I hope when this finds you, please on election day, let some good and some kindness happen.
1: If you're registered to vote today, you have to go to the polls and vote.
0: Vote like your life depends on it. Vote like you're voting for the other fella too, not just you. Also ooh, when they pull out the love thy neighbor, I was like, yes.
1: That perked my ears a little bit.
0: We're Jewish and we even know this. You know how they show us uh, Smith's hometown when that evil campaign is going up against him where they're filling the town with false information?
1: Yeah, and like they're running over the kids, yeah, yeah.
0: That one rally looked like a Nazi rally, kind of. For one second, I went, whoa, they made it look like how a Nazi rally would look. And I went, that was pretty smart. That reminds me, they almost didn't want to release this film in Europe for a couple reasons. One, because the Nazis are a thing. So they didn't want to put this out there and have America look corrupt. Like, that was a fear for them. Because it shows, like, American corruption. And I think they also were worried how it would play over there... Like, they didn't want it to be a patriotic, a super patriotic kind of thing for any other terrible groups to cling to.
1: That's actually really interesting. Yeah,
0: and it ended up being a huge hit in France. (laughs) They were like, oh, (laughs) okay. Because the French were feeling like the the Nazis were encroaching on them, obviously, at that point.
1: I don't know the year France, per se, got taken over. I know uh, Germany invaded Poland on September 1st, 1939. So Right around the time this movie came out.
0: Well, so the French were watching this and seeing the Nazis as the corrupt people in the system. So it really hit home with them.
1: The timing, actually, I mean, it makes sense it really makes sense you're right especially from an american perspective where i mean at the time we were isolationist right we weren't we didn't get to the war until after you know a couple years later but yeah we i mean you know it makes you're right it makes america look bad in many ways because even though it's not political parties that are doing this it's you know you, you're seeing corruption in washington and everybody you know in america at least everybody knows this corruption is happening and whatnot but if you start showing that elsewhere now you're starting to kind of show some holes in your own armor
0: but i do love it ultimately ends with hope which I'm, you know, we might need on Tuesday. We don't know how this is gonna go. Wherever this finds you, we're wishing for the best, but like, if the best doesn't happen, may this at least be some form of hope for you because if Jimmy Stewart can eventually win, maybe we don't have a Jimmy Stewart yet, but Jimmy Stewart will show up. It's so weird doing this now when this will come out and we have no idea of what the results will be and no
1: idea what's gonna happen. Well, to be fair, when this gets released, you know who knows when the, the final results will be yeah. known. But... True. Uh,
0: so many people are voting, it might take a few days to really get the whole count, right? Yeah. That's good yeah, news. it's
1: gonna be, yeah. There's a lot of absentee ballots out there that can't get counted till election day or maybe right before it, yeah. I
0: did write down this quote. I wrote down all the quotes, so what am I saying? But <laughs> there was one quote that I wrote down that said, this country is bigger than the Taylors. And I liked that.
1: Yeah, Taylor, not not like actual Taylors, but-
0: Well, and they had all those, those names are all very clever. Because a tailor, what does a tailor do? A tailor reconfigures and stitches and alters. So everyone had a very symbolic name.
1: I didn't even think about that either, but you're right. You're
0: welcome. That's what (laughs) I'm here for. I don't know what Saunders means though. And I don't really know who Daniel Webster was. I feel like based on this film, he was someone that clearly like talked and argued a lot. Just based on how he...
1: Yeah, I totally looked him up. I mean, Daniel Webster, that was Daniel Webster's desk. I had to know who it was. I mean, I recognized... The name, but I, I like didn't know like a ton about him. But he was a, uh, I think, a Secretary of State. Yeah, he was Secretary of State twice. Ooh, okay. Under um, Millard Fillmore, who was the 13th president.
0: That's the name, David. That would be like if someone was named Millard. Full circle. Full
1: circle. Uh, <laughs> And then William Henry Harrison and John Tyler, because Harrison uh, died shortly after his inauguration. Uh, he was the also the Secretary of State for them, and then he was a U.S. Senator from Massachusetts. Obviously, that was his desk, so had to be there. Yeah, he was a big deal out there. He's kind of a
0: big deal. Okay, good to know. What time period would Daniel Webster have been again? Can you remind me?
1: He was born in 1782 and died in 1852.
0: Okay, okay. So slightly more relevant to them, <laughs> they would have yeah. really known, whereas we're like, who yeah. the fuck is this? Okay. Yeah, it was a
1: hundred years going back, but, you know, big enough
0: to be able to know. Uh, I didn't say this at the top of the show, but one of the reasons I chose to watch this movie with my wonderful brother is my brother knows so much about the United States president, and he's really good at U.S. history. When we were growing up, we went to Washington, D.C., and when I saw the columns, I thought of you, because you were able to, like, name each of the different kinds of columns, like, oh, yeah. I'd be like, is that Ionic or Doric or Corinthian? Like, you know that. And um, he knows all the presidents. So if you just say a number of a president, David would be like, blah, blah, blah. Can you play that game right now?
1: I can probably still do it,
0: yeah. What about 23? Who was number
1: 23? 23 was Benjamin Harrison.
0: Okay, you see that folks at home? That's my brother. He can do that with presidents. You know what I can do that with? Musicals that have won the Tony for best musical. Now you tell me... Which set of information is more valuable?
1: I, I mean, they're probably equally valuable. Neither value very high for these, but they're both have a similar value.
0: But that's why I wanted to do this with you because I felt like you would just appreciate it. You would appreciate the Washington historical aspects and just enjoy this like tale of America.
1: Well, it's funny, because you told me we were going to watch it and it was one of those movies that I've heard it so many times and so many people reference it and whatever, but I've never seen it. So you said we we're going to watch it. and I was kind of excited because, you know, it's an excuse for me to get to watch the movie
0: well and when you had watched um, arsenic and old lace and liked it i was like well if you liked that frank capra directed this and it's probably way more up your alley anyway so
1: i like this more than arsenic and old lace but that's just because i knew you would not that i didn't like arsenic and i did i did enjoy it it was a good movie too but this was you're right more up my alley
0: i did want to say this about james stewart too one thing i read his life seems so perfect and it just makes me annoyed with him you know those people where you're like oh good for you so James Stewart went to prep school and was good at everything. It was like, he played sports and he did this and he did... Th- good for you, James Stewart. <laughs> he went to Princeton and studied architecture. He was friends with Henry Fonda, followed him to Hollywood, and had a freaking career. His persona on screen was the likable everyman.
1: You can understand that, though. I mean, he definitely, in this movie, is amazingly likable.
0: He's a likable dude.
1: You want him to succeed. I mean, you want that character to succeed. And, and you know, when he was doing the filibuster, he was so good in that scene because, you know, he's losing his voice and he's trying to fight, you know, like we talked about earlier, when she's trying to direct him and what he's doing, like you can see, you he, it feels so real, like he really doesn't belong there and you can, you can feel his anxiety while he's there and you can see him just trying to fight through, not knowing what to do, but trying to fight through and I thought he did a really good job.
0: When you see his whole journey, because you're right, you mentioned this earlier, the first time he goes up to speak in the Senate, first of all, the very first time he goes to speak, he speaks way too loudly and everyone makes fun of him. The second time um, he pulls up a paper and he's shaking and the paper keeps flopping down. And it's a really funny, like physical comedy moment. It made me really like embarrassed for him. And I wanted to pause it and be like, Oh God, I feel your pain so much. But yeah, so he, he's overcome so much. So he's overcome like not fitting in, not understanding to like, having a very passionate speech on the floor. He's come so far as a character. He's able to do this now. Yeah, I love a story about heart and this story is all about heart and fighting for your convictions and not giving up even when it's a lost cause which seems kind of depressing, but works out
1: in this case. I will say though, there was a lot of kids like on the Senate floor. I don't know if that's something that happened back then. I was like, are these kids getting paid? Are they getting like?
0: I am so glad you brought that up because those were literally my notes. I said, is the page program real? Is this violating child labor laws? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Same thoughts. I was going to ask you, hoping you would know. (laughs) I don't know.
1: I was like, I don't know the labor laws like in 1939, but I'm I don't know that you're allowed to like, have kids working crazy hours.
0: Also, what responsible children? <laughs> right? I've never seen any children that are responsible in my life.
1: They were very responsible <laughs> kids. I mean, I mean that one kid earlier, I was talking about like, you know, explaining who everybody is. That was like a 10 year old kid. Like that's the Senate majority leader. That's the Senate minority leader. That's that guy. I was like, um, again, is this Disney Channel? <laughs> well,
0: and it shows what a ruby is that a 10 year old child knows way more than he does. And these kids are smart. They pick up on everything. They know everything that's going down. Me at 10? I would have been bored and clueless. I would have been sitting there going,
1: like, I don't know. Why anything. am I here?
0: <laughs> oh, because I'm feeding my starving family and you're going to give me a penny for this day? Cool. And
1: then I'm going to give my pennies back to Jimmy Stewart when I participate in that program.
0: His picture-taking skills. Oh, no. Those pics are red dicks. That's what I wrote. Oh, really? Those pics are red dicks.
1: By the way, there, there was something else. When he gets to Washington and he's got those chickens. Pigeons, <laughs> oh, David. were they pigeons? <laughs> why, did, why did he have pigeons? Did they say? They
0: did. Those were carrier pigeons that he had trained to fly messages home to his mother. Legit. Those were pigeons, David. Those were pigeons. Two things. One, I love that he reuses, uh, Frank Capra reuses a lot of character actors and um, in this one, we see someone who is in uh, Arsenic and Old Lace, Jack Carson, and there's a couple other character actors that are reused. But I like that he distinguishes that there is like a good, honorable press corps and that there are like tabloid ambulance chaser reporters. And I like that he distinguishes between the two. And I like that the press. So in the beginning, Saunders, aka Jean Arthur, is like super pissed that she has to work for James Stewart and he really annoys her. And so she's like, I know a trick I can play on him. I'm gonna tell all these shitty tabloid reporters where he is and they're gonna report on him and it's gonna be really funny. And they do. These terrible tabloid reporters go and Jimmy Stewart's very genuine and honest with them and they take pictures of him doing various things like bird calls or like doing all these insane things, showing off his skills, but then they put different captions and misquote him. Um, so they make what he's doing look like he's saying something bad when he's not, which ends up happening later in the film, David. Whoa, that's what the, all the senators do. But then um, when Jimmy Stewart finds out the truth about what happened, he goes into the press room. First of all, he's like punching everybody. And I was like, ooh, that's not the way to solve your problems. That was a
1: weird part of the movie. I thought that part could have been taken out of the movie. I didn't really get I think why so that was too. in there.
0: I'm like, you're making it worse. Please just stop. They're gonna report on this. You're dumb.
1: Initially, like when he was doing that, I thought the movie was gonna go down a different path. Like I thought he was gonna punch people and then like go to jail or something but like he just punched people and then they just like talk to him and then i don't know it
0: well so he's punching out the tabloid guys and you're like oh god and he looks all crazed while he's doing it but yeah they establish that there are good people in the press who do want to report the truth and i think that's really important too that they can distinguish between the two and we haven't really talked about claude Rains because we talked about him last week. He was the invisible man. So like last week, the whole fricking show was about him. So yeah, if you want to hear more about Gene Arthur, listen to our second episode about the devil and Miss Jones. If you want to hear more about Claude Rains, listen to our episode last week about the invisible man. Claude Rains is a phenomenal actor. Truly. I think he's such a great actor. And in this, I mean, you really feel for him. What a great line he walks. What a great job he does where he plays a corrupt senator that we as the audience still feel for. He does such a great job.
1: You know, that was actually one of the notes that I was thinking about was, you know, power really does funny things to people. For him, it was either, if I don't back Jim Taylor, he's gonna support somebody else. I'm not gonna have his backing and I'm not not gonna get elected again. He's gotta pick between that and doing what's right.
0: It's not even just like, you'll support me or not. It's you'll support me or you could destroy me. Yeah. You can lie and make up all of these false things and people will believe they're true. So yeah, I get his dilemma. Um, And I also really like, there's a line that he said about like, yeah, I've been corrupt for this guy, but I've also done a lot of good. And I think that's a super interesting question to pose to people of like, oh God, what if he has done good for people too? Like, yes, he's corrupt, but like maybe he did do some good in his time there
1: whoa and i think that's how a lot of people think is you know yeah i'm i might be doing this that might not be good but think of all the good that i've done because i have this power and i'm in the position and i can help the people of my state And look at all the good I'm doing for my state. I'm also might be, you know, a little bit corrupt in helping these other guys, but I'm also (laughs) doing all these good things, right? So it's okay. It's okay that I can do these other things. You're right, you can see that from, you know, his character of of how conflicted he is because Jefferson Smith is his former best friend's son and he doesn't want to hurt him.
0: And kind of a younger version of him. Like he sees himself in Jefferson.
1: You know, at the end of the day, like you want him to do what's right. And you hate what he's doing to Jimmy Stewart in so many different points of the movie. But at the same time, time you sit back and you understand why it's happening because that's Washington, right? That's That's how it works. And you almost can feel that. And yet you also know he really doesn't want to do this, but he feels like he has no choice but to do it.
0: But he goes full evil. So you start to lose. It's, he has your sympathy so much of the time until he switches. He does the plot twist at the very end. James Stewart yields the floor to him thinking this man has his back and he totally betrays him.
1: Totally stabs him in the back. Yeah.
0: Totally stabs him in the back. Ironic enough. Thank you for saying that because his father was shot in the back. Also, there was a moment when I, I... don't remember this movie. I think I saw it when I was fourteen and remembered literally nothing about it. And there was a moment when I was like, "Wait, did Claude Rains like murder his dad?" Because <laughs> he was like, "I saw him when he died," and I was like, "Did you murder him?" Yeah. No, he didn't. Everyone at home, that was a really stupid thought I had. No, he clearly did not murder him. But because I was like, "It's Claude Rains. You don't know." That's the bad guy. You never know. Well, because Claude Rains plays the bad guy a lot. He plays very complicated men. The Invisible Man is straight up like evil. Last week I watched him being like, I'm gonna murder people, ah! To this week being like a very sympathetic, soft-spoken, kind-hearted man. And he he is kind of a little Meryl Streepy. He does become Joe Payne. He looks very different. He behaves very differently. He has a whole other persona on him. And I, I really, there was a, especially this one moment when um, he's with Taylor and uh, they bring Jimmy Stewart in. And he's like, no, you can't do this to this boy. I'm not gonna let you do it. And there's one moment where you see how conflicted he is and you think for one second, he's gonna walk away. And he doesn't, he stays. And it's heartbreaking, but like, it's a great moment. I thought a really solid film moment.
1: You're always waiting for him to to do the right thing. And I guess you could say at the very end, like we've noted, he finally does do the right thing. But it took the entire movie for him to do that. But like, you're right, because you don't realize he's going to be the bad guy. Well, you kind of know at the beginning he's going to be the bad guy, but you know, you, it could still go either way. You know, you don't really know exactly how it's going to go. But then you're right, as soon as he yields the floor, because I remember watching that, he, he's like, you know, do you yield the floor to your, the other senator? And he goes, oh, yeah, I'll yield the floor to him. Like all of a sudden that's when it, you know the tables turned.
0: That's when all the betrayal happens. That's when they pin everything that they have done on him. They forge his signature. They get a ton of people to lie to a committee. They, they really go all out.
1: The one guy that was like, I would put my 20 year career.
0: Um, yeah, that stressed me out. And it also stresses me out that there really was no proof that Jimmy Stewart was correct. There, There's not a lot of proof there. And so it really did take Claude Rains' character's confession, but he also only made that confession after he tried to commit suicide. He leaves the Senate floor because he's so, he sees Jimmy Stewart collapse. He's realized, oh my God, I've done to Jimmy Stewart what someone did to his father. Like, I am the villain. He goes to commit suicide. You hear two gunshots go off. I'm like, where the hell did you get a gun that fast? What's going on? Whatever. But they bring him back in and that's when he confesses. Everything he said was right. We did these things. We are corrupt. And I think maybe now that we're talking about it, I'm realizing that's the moment when you realize you just can't compromise. Because he was saying look at all the good i've done but it's like he became so tainted and so forced to keep going down a terrible path that even though he might have done good he was compromised himself so he couldn't really totally 100 percent do good forever and
1: not to like take this conversation down like today but um like it all it does make you wonder though like how much of this movie is is really based in reality and how bad are our, our political figures you know, today and how, how compor- now, not like whether you agree with them, you know, politically, but just like how compromised are they? Cause all these other senators believe this one white knight senator. And I kind of sat back. I was even thinking it during the movie, like how many of these senators are also corrupt and like how many of them are like, they weren't even thinking about what, you know, whether this guy was corrupt or not, even though they know there's probably a pretty good chance he's corrupt. Cause they're probably corrupt.
0: You're right, there could have been so much more corruption and we didn't even know. It's not like
1: Jim Taylor's the only guy who's got pockets and's got money. I mean
0: Well, I think what we were talking about earlier is something else that does disturb me is a lot of people, we do know their corruption. We have receipts, we have track records, and it seems like no one cares.
1: I did like when Jimmy was looking at the, the famous documents, but he, you know, he was looking at it on his little tour, and they're highlighting life liberty, pursuit of happiness.
0: It was such a I Love America montage. It showed, again, probably for the first time on film, all of these cool historic things in Washington, D.C. Yeah, it was like a a travelogue kind of (laughs) thing.
1: Which was probably really cool in like 1939. And
0: they made him such a bumpkin about it. They have him say things like, boy, oh boy. Um, I did write down a cool line that Gene Arthur said. I wasn't given a brain to tell a boy ranger what time it is. And I was like, yes you should be the senator. You are so overqualified and so smart, you should be the damn senator.
1: But you know, unfortunately, the governor's boys didn't know who she was.
0: True, the boys didn't know who she was. She's not from that state. She's a woman. It's, again, off the top, a lot. It's all white men making decisions. All of the Senate is old white men and Jimmy Stewart.
1: The new guy in town.
0: Although again, I did like it when they were like, you've got two parents that can vote. And I was like, yeah, because women can vote
1: right now in your country we can vote it was more new back then it was newer back then
0: oh he doesn't know anyone as capable or intelligent as she is so he doesn't even say the woman he's like you're pretty smart for a woman and then he says he doesn't know anyone as capable or as intelligent as she is and i was like yeah anyone any people man or woman she's the smartest
1: she knew her stuff
0: um one of the quotes in the movie was you can't count on people voting half the time they don't america don't be like those people. You're already doing great. Keep vote. You vote. Your voice matters. Your vote matters, especially especially now, but always, but now. Yeah. Vote, 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 vote. Yeah. And don't vote like a dummy. Do your damn research and vote for what you think.
1: Yeah. Do your research, get the facts, and if you're registered to vote and you're listening to this on election day and you haven't voted yet, go vote. What's wrong with you? Right?
0: You can listen to this in line. Oh, I also last thing I want to point out is that she gets top billing over Jimmy Stewart. Gene Arthur, her name comes first. I think his part is considered the lead, but she was the bigger star.
1: I did notice that. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I definitely uh, recommend this movie, though. It was a really good movie. I really enjoyed it.
0: Especially to watch either way on election day. That's why I picked it, because it's like you can watch it either way. You can watch it if you're happy. You can watch it if you're bummed. It's an either way kind of movie. It's time for our double feature, the double feature segment of the show. That's when um, I basically tell you, hey, you know, Jamie in the first episode said, hey Sarah, what do I watch next after this? And I went, ha 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 ha, I can tell you. So for this film, what I would pair it with, personally, if it was me, I actually would watch it with 12 Angry Men, which I feel like is just another film about being able to find justice and democracy when everything is stacked against you. So personally for me, 12 Angry Men, also it stars Henry Fonda, who is like the mirror of James Stewart. Um, But if you do want another Frank Capra film and want to feel that kind of optimistic, everyman hope, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town is a great one, 1936. Uh, Meet John Doe, also similar, 1941.
1: And those are your double features. That's what to watch next. If you've never seen 12 Angry Men, that's a great movie.
0: Well, David, thank you so much for being on the show. You're such a great guest. Thanks for being here. Thanks
1: for having me on. It was fun. It's kind of been on my list for a long time, but never watched it. So that's
0: cool. Well, we make dreams come true here at Talk Classic to me.
1: (laughs) You made mine come true.
0: You're welcome. (laughs) All right. Bye, everybody. See you next time on Talk Classic to Me.